welcome back to the Final Girl on 6th Avenue podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am 6th Avenue's very own Final Girl, and I am also 6th Avenue's very own Final Girl, who is so sorry that we are still on the Top 100 Movie Countdown. I really didn't anticipate it being this um, long or difficult to put a list like this together and actually talk about it, and it makes when you see, like, the top, I love the 80s, like, song countdowns and stuff on VH1. I have a lot more respect for those now because it really is pretty challenging. Um, But with that being said, we are so close to being done. So this time I'm going to do everything up until the top 10. I'm not going to do the top 10 in this episode. I'm going to give it its own episode. I think it will make the episode more easily digestible. And I also think it will... Just be nice to have, you know, the top 10 in its own episode. I can devote more time, devote more effort to it. And I think that that's really important since those are the movies that ultimately um, I like the best. So just a friendly reminder that we are part of the Morbidly Beautiful Network. And um, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to any of the other Morbidly Beautiful podcasts, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that you head on over to morbidlybeautiful.com and check them out. We also have blogs. We have lots of wonderful, amazing, and creative people that work um, on the Morbidly Beautiful Network, and I can't recommend listening and reading to, you know, the thing that these wonderful people put out because it really is important. The horror community is not as big as you think it is, and when you come from or, like, are involved in a smaller community, it's really important that, We all make sure to support one another. So please check out their stuff. Number 29, The Conjuring. 2013 release, rated R, one hour, 52 minute runtime. Directed by James Wan, written by Chad and Carrie Hayes, starring Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, and Ron Livingston. You know the drill. Everybody, for the most part, has seen The Conjuring. Paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren work to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse. I mean, look. People move into this house. Shit doesn't go well. What do you want me to say? I mean, it. they, they move into this, like, really terribly old farmhouse. I mean, it's run down like no other, and it's, you know... If you wanted to know, like, if you wanted an example of the house that you would look at one time and be like, you know what? Um, that place is haunted. Okay, other than the Amityville house, this is that house. Like, this is just the same thing. And it's crazy that these people stayed in this house for as long as they did. It's based on true events. Ed and Lorraine Warren were real people. Whether or not you believe their practices is totally up to you. Um, I've read some of the books that they are listed as authors on, but for whatever reason, I have a hard time believing that they were the writer. I think someone else wrote it, but regardless, it's their stories, and I think this movie's really good. If you like a good jump scare, this is the one for you. Moving on to number 28. Cabin Fever, 2002 release, rated R, one hour, 33 minute runtime, written and directed by Eli Roth, starring Jordan Ladd, Ryder Strong, James DeBello, 
Five college graduates rent a cabin in the woods and begin to fall victim to a horrifying flesh-eating virus, which attracts the unwanted attention of the homicidal locals. So this is the first Eli Roth movie I ever saw. Um, and I don't remember when I saw it the first time. I want to say I was in middle school. And this movie, it just doesn't get any better than this. I mean, the scenes of the girl in the how in the outhouse and you know, she gets infected with this virus because it's in the water and her she's decaying right i mean she's dying so her friends put her in this outhouse because they're like well we don't want to fucking be around you and we definitely don't want you to touch us i mean you look over at the end of the movie and there's a fucking german shepherd in there eating her stomach out um one girl gets in the shower she starts shaving her legs and as she's shaving the water is literally infecting her skin so rapidly that you know the razor is taking off the skin from her legs as she is stroking the razor there's so many great and disgusting moments in this movie. I cannot tell you how often I think about it and how much I wish everybody in the world was required to watch this movie to just show that you can make a wonderful movie and it doesn't have to be like the highest budget movie in the universe. It just doesn't. And fun fact, if you don't recognize the Ryder Strong name immediately, um, he was in Boy Meets World. So if you're a Gen X, Gen Z millennial, then you probably know who that is. It's a relatively simple movie. I don't know that there needs to be much more said than that. It's just a great premise and an even better execution. I believe there was a Cabin Fever 2. Actually, I know for sure there was a Cabin Fever 2. Um, and it takes place at a high school prom. It is not good at all. Um, and I don't recommend that anybody ever watch it unless you just really like bad sequels. Cool. Okay. 27. Quarantine. 2008 release rated r one hour 29 minute runtime this movie is literally a gem okay it's actually hilarious okay written and directed by john eric dowdle starring jennifer carpenter steve harris and columbus short a television reporter and her cameraman are trapped inside a building quarantined by the cdc after the outbreak of a mysterious virus which turns humans into bloodthirsty killers. Sound any sound familiar to anybody? I mean, it's literally just like a another version of Wreck. Um, but there's something slightly different about this movie in the sense that the authorities play like a pretty big part in it and and i know they do too in wreck but like the role in this movie is just completely different like you have the cdc and they're you know they're not releasing any information on this stuff and they're kind of trying to hide everything and ultimately <laughs> these poor people show up to this i believe it's an apartment building it's like a tall building and this lady i mean it might be one of the greatest jump scares of all time this fucking lady just comes, you know, full speed ahead. I don't know. She must be like 80. 
And she just starts eating this cop's face off. And it is just one of the greatest jump scares, one of the greatest scenes, and one of the most unexpected ways to start a movie I've ever seen. This film is absolutely incredible. It's so absurd, all you can do is laugh. Sometimes. Not always, because it's actually pretty scary. So let's just get right into it. As you all know, everything comes from IMDb. I give you... You know, the description of the movie. We talk a little bit about it. We move on. God, I hope you know the drill by now. We've been doing this for so long. Okay. So number 26. When a Stranger Calls. 2006 release, PG-13 rating, one hour, 27 minute runtime. During a babysitting gig, a high school student is harassed by an increasingly threatening prank caller. Yes, I know that this is a remake. Yes, I do like it more. So please do not ask me that. I don't know why I like this one more than the original. Um, I think it has something to do with the house. And honestly, the original one, when I was watching it, wasn't as relatable to me as this one is. I mean, this was a movie that came out. When I was growing up, um, I think it just had more of an impact on me in that way. Directed by Simon West, written by Jake Wade Wall, starring Camilla Bell, Tommy Flanagan, Katie Cassidy. I mean, we pretty much all know what uh, what this movie entails. We have a nice, pretty young 16-year-old high school student who is babysitting for a wealthy family. The family goes out to dinner, leaving their kids at home. I should say the parents go out to dinner, leaving their two young kids at home. And a sweet, sweet high school girl, you know, Jill Johnson, she's just not not equipped. She's not equipped to handle these types of situations. Not that I think anybody um, should be. I think if you have a lot of experience in handling situations like this, then... There's probably a really, really big problem in your life if you, every time you go to somebody else's house, like, they call you nonstop. Um, so, yeah. But with that being said, I like the pacing. I think that, you know, when we say the call is coming from inside the house, it's like, we now use that as slang to be like, oh, you're a hypocrite. You know, the call is literally coming from inside the house. You're calling yourself. So, um, yeah, I like this movie a lot, and I think, I think for you to decide, I, like, I wouldn't be able to recommend, like, which one I like the best. I wouldn't be able to say, like, okay, well, like, I like the remake the best, obviously, I've said that, so that's the one that you should watch. Um, I, I don't really feel that way. I think that if you like the storyline, generally, people are gonna like them both pretty much equally. Number 25, Funny Games, 2007 release, rated R, one hour, 51 minute runtime, and boy is it worth every minute. Two psychopathic young men take a family hostage in their cabin. This is written and directed by Michael Haneke and starring Naomi Watts, Tim Roth, Michael Pitt, um, and Brady Corbett, and... This movie is a movie that will really stick with you because, and again, I know that this is also a remake. Y'all need to chill. Okay, I can hear it already, but y'all need to chill. 
because I know for a fact that I like this version better. I'm sorry. Um, but the way that this movie plays out is so interesting. So I've never seen anything like it, to be honest with you. Essentially, Scream is always credited with having broken the fourth wall. And I, I do think that that is true. They're kind of meta and in the way that they talk about, you know, oh, well, you guys can't have sex because if you have sex then you'll die. And then, you know, you have sex and then Ghostface kills you. But in this movie, they break the fourth wall in a, in a very different way, which um, is one that I I wasn't familiar with up until the point that I had seen it. So basically we have this lovely family. They're out on a lake house and um, they're making breakfast. Naomi Watts' character is, um, you know, in the kitchen. She hears somebody knock at the door. She goes and answers the door to find Peter and Paul, who are two young men. We don't know where Peter and Paul came from. Like, we don't know if they also live on the lake or, like, if they just do this shit for, literally for fun. Like, we just don't, we don't know. And they're like, hey, we were making breakfast we realize we, we need some eggs. Um, we, we don't have any. Is it okay if we get some from you? And she's like, oh my gosh, of course. I would love to give you guys some eggs. So they come in and they make themselves pretty much right at home and make it pretty clear that they're not going to be leaving anytime soon. And so that's how they enter into the home and proceed to take the family hostage. When they do this, Peter and Paul are... Um, sometimes directly addressing the audience through the camera by saying things like, what do you think that they should do? Um, it's, it's pretty jarring to see a movie like that, especially if you've never seen anything like it before. And I, I truly didn't even know there was a movie out there that had existed that had done this up until the time I had watched it. And essentially they're playing quote-unquote games, I would argue that they are sadistic in nature and not at all fun to anybody but them, but um, I'm not playing, so maybe this is just me being boring and uptight. But essentially, Peter and Paul are like, yo, we have a bet going that you guys are not going to be alive tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. What do you think? And the family's like, um, okay. I mean, think we will be, but okay. The whole night, you know, goes down. I'm not going to get into the details. You should watch it. I, again, like I, I always say I don't want to take up too much time and I really do mean it. So I really, 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 really am trying this time not to with the descriptions. But essentially the next morning, nine o'clock rolls around everybody's dead except for Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul are out on the boat and they go over to another house and start asking for some eggs. So they just don't ever um, have to face the consequences of their actions. And uh, it just, this movie is so out of control. At one point, uh, Naomi Watts' character is asked to make a decision with how her husband should die. Like, should he die with um, being stabbed by a knife or being shot by a gun? Like, should it be a slow death or a fast death? And obviously she's going to have to witness it because that's part of the game. And she picks up the remote, like, on the coffee table, like the TV remote, and she rewinds 
the scene of the movie to go back to make it a better situation where like they don't have access to a gun. So it's, it's just a very uh, jarring movie. I think everybody should watch it. It, if anything, you could say it was a black comedy, but I, again, I don't think anything is funny about it. Number 24, the Hills have eyes. 2006 release rated R one hour, 47 minutes. A traveling family falls victim to a group of mutated cannibals in a desert far away from civilization. Directed by Alexander Aha and written by Wes Craven. Starring Ted Levine, Kathleen Quinlan, and Dan, Dan Bird. Excuse me. Not for the faint of heart, this movie is. It is one in which I would not watch when I was eating dinner. And if you are a person who doesn't really mind zombies, but the idea of like a mutant is more frightening to you, then 100% this is the movie for you. You will never love another movie the way that you love this one. The first time I saw this movie was on like a, I want to say like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. I was with my mom. This is the remake and the reason why, you know, Wes Anderson worked on both obviously the original and the remake is because whenever he saw the successes of the remakes of like Amityville Horror and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he was like, oh, damn, okay, I can do that. Um, I should totally do that. And it. Did I say Wes Craven or Wes Anderson? If I say Wes Anderson, just know I'm not talking about him again. I am talking about Wes Craven. I am so sorry. So there's a big nuclear fallout, you know, that they used for inspiration. Like they took uh, the directors and the writers. They took like, I don't want to say inspiration because that sounds so fucked up and morbid to be like, oh, they took inspiration from Chernobyl, but they did. I mean, they took... um, any information they could find regarding like any nuclear events and deformities within people. And, um, they took like things like, uh, agent orange, um, and, and the chemical effects that it has on humans. And, um, actually like during the opening sequence of the movie, they show flashes of, of kids and they're all deformed. And these Children are actual victims of Agent Agent Orange that was used during Vietnam War. So it definitely is a movie that, um, this is, this has to be like a commentary. It just does. I don't think that Wes Craven typically does things without a good intention. I think there is good intention here, but the way that these people look is so fucking fucked up. I'm not talking about the kids in the picture. I'm talking about the people in the movie. The mutants, the cannibals in the movie are absolutely horrific. They are so scary to look at. I might have to watch this movie tonight. I, I, I do truly love it, and I haven't seen it in a few years. Um, I, I, I like the original. I do. It's just that when it comes to this one, again, I kind of feel like, for me, it does kind of what... Um, when a stranger call does for me, it's just more relevant to me. It was 
what I saw when I was growing up. So for me, this movie will always have a special place in my heart. I think my mom and I watched it and we literally looked at each other and we're like, what the fucking fuck did we just watch? We say that a lot about movies that we watch together, though, so that, you know, you can do with that information what you will. Number 23, The Amityville Horror. And this time, I'm going to give you the original because it is still the scariest one. 1979 release, rated R, one hour, 57 minute runtime. Newlyweds and their three children move into a large house where a mass murder was committed. They start to experience strange, inexplicable manifestations which have strong effects on everyone living in or visiting the house. Directed by Stuart Rosenberg, written by Sandra Stern, George Lutz, and Jay Anson, and starring James Brolin, Margaret Kidder, and Rod Steger. And boy, oh boy, did you hear me correctly when I said, yes, George Lutz himself was a writer for the film. Um... George Lutz actually wrote, you know, the book, The Amityville Horror, which upon this movie is based. And it is what is explained by George Lutz to be a true account of the things that happened to him and his wife, Kathy, when they owned and lived in the Amityville home. And you can, you know, it's still there. It's still in Amityville, New York. Uh, it is a little too close to where I live in New York for me to find any sort of like comfort with that knowledge. So I don't foresee myself ever going to visit this place. I don't, I'm not a person who like seeks out real life harm typically, except I did go to the ghost adventures museum in Las Vegas. And that was such a grave mistake that I made that I actually, um, was so like nauseous and lightheaded and dizzy after I left because of all the things that I had experienced when I was there that I actually could not bring the clothes that I wore to the museum with me home because I was worried that there was something attached to it. It really was truly one of the most horrific experiences of my entire life. So will I ever be going to the Amityville home? The answer to that is going to be a big fat no from me. So fun fact, this movie was nominated for an Oscar. Um, it didn't win, but it was nominated. Essentially this film is probably one of the most horrifying, like reenactment or like live reenactments of an account of, um, of hauntings that I have ever seen in my life. And, I love paranormal. I love the paranormal world um, with regard to movies and books and TV. And this movie sticks with me. Every time I watch it, I do physically shake pretty much from the time the movie starts until the time that the film is over. It really does give me a very physical reaction because of how, just how like scary this is to think about. Like, can you imagine... Okay, so if you don't know anything about the Amityville home, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm not going to use the word alleged. I'm just going to go ahead and say it happened. There was a boy who lived in a home with his parents and in the middle of the night took a shotgun and killed every single person in the home, including his parents and his younger sister and everything like that. It was horrible, truly a terrible crime. 
really something that you're not gonna want to, um, you're not gonna wanna buy a house that that occurred in, right? Right. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much this. I, look, I think the Amityville Horror is one that's it's a story that's oh, it's overdone. It is, and that's why I like the original so much. It's so nice to see that while Wes Craven loved the idea that the remake in 2005 of the Amityville Horror was so successful, um, and so he was so inspired by that to make another remake of one of his own movies, and that's great. But you lose a lot of the simplicity in the story and in the effects. I mean, and in the acting. Like, you, the one... The 1979 original has the best performances of everyone in the film. And I stand by that. Number 22. 31. So the film is called 31. Just in case that was unclear. That's not a cut. I didn't make a mistake. I am perfect and stunning and wonderful and smart. And I've never made a mistake like calling Wes Craven Wes Anderson. But the title of this film is 31. 2016 release. It doesn't have a rating, so do with that what what you will. One hour, 42 minute runtime. This is written and directed by Rob Zombie, so you know Miss Sherry Moon is in this movie, and she's stunning as always. Five carnival workers are kidnapped and held hostage in an abandoned hellish compound where they are forced to participate in a violent game, the goal of which is to survive 12 hours against a gang of sadistic clowns. So when it comes to this movie, I think it's probably the... I hesitate to say this. I think it's probably the most creative of the Rob Zombie movies only because I like the, the way it plays out. I think I I don't want to, I like, I love him. So I really, really, really don't want this to come off the wrong way. I have such immense respect for Rob Zombie and Sherry Moon because she acts in all of his movies, but like a lot of his films are very like, okay, we have some carnies and they go and they go to a house and then they go and they stay at the house and then bad things happen at the house. This doesn't have anything that happens anywhere. Okay. Except in this, it's like a compound warehouse. It's huge. Okay. Well, for all I know, I mean, it could be tiny cause where they filmed it. I, who the fuck knows, but, um, it's not very big. And so essentially they have this one guy and, he is kind of making little cameos in and out throughout the whole movie. And you're like, who in the hell is this guy? Why is he so important? Well, this group of, um, of carnival workers are kidnapped. They, you know, come to, or we discover them in this compound and they are, they are told because I, I would say, like, they're not asked to be there, but they are told, basically, that they are going to stay there for 12 hours. It's Halloween night, and this is our tradition. There are three people in, you know, full, like, parliament makeup, basically, who are there, and they are wealthy people who 
pay for these people to get kidnapped, pay for these poor workers to get kidnapped, brought to this compound with them. And they bet continuously throughout the night on who they think is going to survive. And I like the dynamic there. Like I like the fact that there is this, um, I believe they're a family, these three people that are, you know, running this show and each step of the way, the, the carnival workers are faced with like a different challenge, different people that they have to encounter. And at the very end, it's just Sherry Moon and she's still alive. And the, the parliament dressed up people are like, what the fuck are we supposed to do with this? Everybody was supposed to die. And the guy that you'd seen throughout the whole movie, who we don't know exactly who he is, they call him and he's like, I am not coming to to work like I'm not coming to come to work today I'm not coming this is the first Halloween I've had off in however fucking long I'm not gonna come it doesn't matter how much you pay me and they're like well we only have one person left and you know we'll give you a shitload of money if you come and just end the whole thing so he finally gets off his ass and puts on his makeup and goes and um, has a showdown and it really (laughs) Is one of those movies, again, that you watch it and you're like, wow, I know for a fact Rob Zombie made this movie. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I like that style, that like Texas Chainsaw kind of muted color palette style. It's, it's definitely one of my favorites. Number 21, Pet Cemetery, 1989. So see, here, here we go. I got you an original. Rated R, one hour, 43 minute runtime. After tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with the power to raise the dead. This is directed by Mary Lambert, written by Stephen King, starring Dale Midkiff, Denise Crosby, Fred Gwynn. I just love this movie. I've seen it countless times. Positively countless times. And I... Every time I watch it, I find something else that I appreciate about it more than than I appreciated last time or something different. Essentially, we have this lovely family. Dad's a doctor. He goes and moves his family out to the middle of bumfuck nowhere. In, I'm sure it's in Maine because there's, there's not a Stephen King story that takes place literally anywhere else other than the state of Maine. And... Their little boy, little toehead, super blonde, the cutest kid you've ever seen in your life, runs out in the middle of the street, and uh, the neighbor, Judd, had already warned them, like, y'all gotta be careful because this street is really, really busy. Semi-trucks come by here all the time. They come by fast. You guys don't have a fence that divides, you know, your yard from the road. Really, really, really be careful. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. So the little boy runs out in the middle of the road when they're all having a picnic outside one day. And lo and behold, he gets hit by a semi-truck and dies. Well, earlier, uh, Pops had already, you know, taken the family cat and buried it in uh, the pet cemetery. And the pet cemetery is on a burial ground. And... uh, Whatever you put in the ground at the pet cemetery, whenever it comes back to life, it's never the same. So 
so it like looks the same and like it is the same or whatever but it's just like the dead and bad version of whatever you put in the ground so judd the neighbor tries to tell everybody like i just wouldn't do it if i were you but like it is there so you know dad is like oh cool well i already did the cat and the cat's cool so i'm gonna take my dead kid and i'm gonna bury him and then i'll have my kid back so it never gets any better oh and then you know it gets worse like i said because his wife gets killed and i'm not gonna tell you who did it and then his wife he buries his wife he's like god how many times am i gonna have to carry these fucking people to this stupid burial ground and and dig a hole like i know this man is exhausted i just know he is and you know he puts his wife in the ground at the end of the movie she comes back and he kisses her and it's absolutely disgusting and horrific in every single way possible phenomenal phenomenal film Number 27. Yeah, this is the word seven spelled out. That's the name of this movie. I think we're all pretty familiar with the act of uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow here. And oh, Kevin Spacey. Sorry. So sorry. Love him as an actor. Please don't read into that at all. But this is a 1995 release rated R two hours and seven minutes. Two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives. Directed by David Fincher, written by Andrew Kevin Walker. Essentially, we have Kevin Spacey here, and he is just killing and killing. He's a killing machine, okay? And he's, like, making, you know, people who he thinks are guilty of gluttony eat to death and it just some of the most horrific things really truly that you can you can think of um the most gruesome expressions of the seven deadly sins that you can think of are are illustrated here so um kevin spacey was definitely the right person to play this role and i like to see morgan freeman and brad pitt together actually i don't mind that at all I think they're a weird duo, but when they're together, it works. And um, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are the detectives that are tasked with trying to stop this guy, basically. And the movie ends with the lovely and beautiful Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. And um, yeah, Kevin Spacey decapitated her and, and put it in a box and gave it to Brad Pitt. So it's a really uplifting film. Number 19, Good Night Mommy. Not to plug myself, but I've talked about Good Night Mommy before on my own podcast. Feel free to check that out. We're talking about 2014 Good Night Mommy, rated R, 1 hour 39 minutes. Twin boys move to a new house with their mother after she has a face changing cosmetic surgery, but under the bandages is someone the boys don't recognize. This is directed by Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, also written by the same, starring Lucas Schwartz, Elias Schwartz, and Suzanne West. And when I first saw this movie, like it took me a long time to actually work up the courage to like actually watch this movie. The uh, like the thumbnail for the movie is 
really horrifying to look at. It's absolutely terrifying. I can vividly remember the first time that I discovered this film and what the thumbnail and cover art looked like and thinking to myself, I am absolutely never, ever, ever going to watch that. I did watch it. I, I watched it recently. I've watched it within the last year. It, it took me a long time to get up the courage to do so. Um, but when it comes to this movie, it's not like your regular standard, like, because you don't know whose side you're on. A lot of uh, commercial, commercially released, like theatrical released films are generated or, or created with, you know, a formula to be a theatrical release. You need to have like a happy family and they move somewhere new. And when they get there, bad things happen. And then, Oh my God, what happens at the end of the movie? And you know, clearly the whole time, like you're on the side of the family. Like you want the people in the family to not have anything bad happen to them. You are upset for them at the things that are occurring to them. This movie's different because you have one family, so you have a, a single mother and her two sons, and you the whole time do not know whose side you are on. She comes home after what we later learn is a cosmetic surgery, but she, at first we don't know what happened to her, and she, um, her entire face is bandaged completely, and she's like, Kids, please be quiet. Like, I have to rest. This is a really major surgery for me, um, and, and obviously for anyone. And I need time to recover. Please don't open the curtains. My skin is very, very, very sensitive to sunlight, all of these things. And even though that's a reasonable thing to ask, she has these two very young twin boys, and she only addresses one of them throughout the film. So then you're mad at her for not addressing the other boy. But then whenever the the sons decide to take matters into their own hands, because they're like, this is not our mom. We can't even see what she looks like. We don't trust that this person is our mom. She's acting different. You know, this is scaring me. So they take it upon themselves to tie her up and torture her until she proves somehow that she really is their mom. And so then you're mad at the boys because you're like, okay, well, your mom might be a bitch, but she is still your mom. I'm not going to go much deeper into it than that. I have an episode on it. Please listen to it. It is one of my favorite episodes that I have done and one of the ones that I am the most proud of. Number 18, House of a Thousand Corpses. This film is phenomenal. It's nothing less than phenomenal if you are a hater of this movie that would really, really hurt my feelings. Um, coming at you with another Rob Zombie, 2003 release, rated R, one hour, 29 minute runtime. Two young couples traveling across the backwoods of Texas searching for urban legends of murder end up as prisoners of a bizarre and sadistic backwater family of serial killers. Of course, starring, we have Sid Haig, Karen Black, Bill Mosley, and Sherry Moon Zombie. Um, wow. This is just... <laughs> I, like, I almost feel bad for even, like, saying this is in my top 100 only because 
when people find out how highly it's ranked, they're going to just want to watch it like constantly, especially after you watch it the first time and you find out how incredible it is. There's something about this movie that is actually addicting. Like it has addictive properties. I don't know like truly why I I really don't. I like the first time you watch it, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. This is dumb. Why in the world are these people doing this? Right. They're, they're just going through Texas backroading and, and they kind of want to just do what you do. You want to, you want to hang out with your friends and road trip and whatever. And so they come across Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men. And they go in there and they're like hearing about this, you know, serial killer named Dr. Satan. And so they're like, we got to find out about this guy, Dr. Satan. And they meet up with uh, a woman named Baby. And um, Baby is Sherry Moon Zombie. She is um, doing like a, she's hitchhiking, but she's like baiting for people to like come to her and her family's place. And uh, yeah, so they go over for dinner and it doesn't end well, but they do meet Dr. Satan. So if you wanted to know who Dr. Satan was, they do get there. It just takes a while. Number 17, Halloween, 1978 release, rated R, one hour, 31 minute runtime, 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night in 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. This is written and directed by John Carpenter, starring Donald Pleasance, Scream Queen Jr. herself, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Tony Moran. I think most people know who Michael Myers is, but he kills his sister on Halloween, and, you know, he goes to a mental hospital. He's really, really young when he kills his sister, so, you know, his family's like, oh, he's just a troubled boy. He needs help. And so then... He gets the help, but it doesn't really help because when he escapes, he's just like, well, here I go killing again. And so, you know, he starts killing like other teenagers and stuff. And yeah, it's like a, it's a very much a slasher movie. Right. But I think the reason I like it so much is because I like Michael because he doesn't talk. And I know that sounds like a a weird distinction to make when you're talking about um, a killer in a movie. But I actually like that we don't know what he sounds like and we don't really know what he looks like. I mean, he wears, you know, a mask. Um, I don't like the later Halloween movies, not even one singular bit. So I'm not going to go there with you. In my universe, the only one that exists is number one. And I think I have more than anything nostalgic memories of this movie. It was one of the very first horror movies I ever watched. I like Jamie Lee Curtis, of course. How could you not? Her mother played the woman in, I forget her name, her mother played the woman in The Shower in Psycho. And so Jamie Lee had big, big shoes to fill. But wow, that woman can scream. Wonderful film. Switching gears a little bit here. So now is 
right around the time where I say, remember how my show is about elevated horror and pretentiousness? We're getting there. We're getting to the pretentiousness. It's coming back. So glad you made it this far. Okay. So thankful for you. So we're basically back to the show that you know and love. However, this movie is one that I even really debated putting as high as I did. The reason being, it is one in which it got a really, uh, it's just polarizing. It just is. And I guess that's maybe why I like, maybe partially why I like it as much as I do. But I think every time I watch this movie, the more funny I think it is over time, and I'm just not realizing I never told you the name of the movie, which is, we are talking about number 16, The House That Jack Built. I don't always have a taste in my mouth or a craving for Lars von Trier. This movie is one that I can't watch often. I can maybe watch it like once every eight months. It's... It actually has a lot of humor in it. it. It truly does. And I think it's nice to see Matt Dillon in, um, I don't want to say a serious role because he often plays serious roles. I mean, you can see Crash for more information. But whenever we're talking about this movie, I think it's just funny to see him interacting with Uma Thurman in a way that's so cold, so detached, so unique for him. It's a pretty unique character, I would say. So this is a 2018 release rated R two hours and 32 minute runtime. This story follows Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer over the course of 12 years and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. This is written and directed by Lars von Trier, starring uh, Matt Dillon, Bruno Ganz, and Uma Thurman. And a few other people that I, you know, I, I mean, the cast list is, is actually pretty long. Um, not that I don't want to give them the credit that they deserve, but sometimes when I'm thinking about going through, like, the IMDb pages, I'm like, wow, I really wish you guys listed, like, maybe the top five people that are appear in the film and not, like, just the top two or three because it, like, kind of makes me feel bad that I'm not talking about everybody, but that's a me problem and that's nobody else's issue. Essentially, in this film, Matt Dillon plays a serial killer who is recounting five of his killings to um, Bruno Ganz, uh, who is the narrator for the film. They are talking about basically what every time Lars von Trier does a movie, where he's like, the main character's like, well, I have a lot of stories and I could tell you all of them, but it would take too long, so let me just pick five. Matt Dillon here is killing Uma Thurman on the side of the road with a tire uh, jack, because with a car jack, excuse me, because her tire is flat. He is killing his girlfriend's kids in a field by shooting them from a uh, hunting blind. He is just all over the place. He takes, uh, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, what is the expression? Like, he takes no prisoners. Like, he literally literally turns into a crazy person and builds a house at the end of all the dead bodies that he has compiled in his freezer. So 
that's the house that he always wanted. And I'm so glad that at, you know, the two hour and 30 minute mark, he got the fucking house he wanted. I would not recommend this movie to everybody. I really wouldn't. I would probably only recommend this movie to like six people in my life. And oh, the other funny part is that our main man, Matt Dillon, has OCD. So he continuously double checks things on his crime scenes. He's always kind of like unsure of himself. It really and truly is a smart movie. Uh, It's just a little quirky. Number 15, Creep. This is a 2014 release, rated R, one hour, 17 minute runtime, so it's really short. And it stars Mark Duplass, so it was written by Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass, and was directed by Patrick Bryce. So um, Mark Duplass is great. I, I, I love him so much. I can't help but be happy when I look at him. A young videographer answers an online ad for a one-day job in a remote town to record the last messages of a dying man. When he notices the man's odd behavior, he starts to question his intentions. This videographer, you know, he goes out. He's like, I'm going to video this man um, who is Mark Duplass, and he's like, I'm going to take this seriously. He basically tells the videographer that he wanted to hire him because he is, um, he's very sick and he doesn't know when he's gonna like, when he's gonna die. So he wants to have this film made of himself and I can't imagine like somebody hiring me to come watch them for all day and just video them. That would be the weirdest thing. But the messages that Mark Duplass is, is giving the videographer in the movie get like darker and more scary and like just more unsettling so the next day he's like it's fine it wasn't a big deal like maybe this just guy he's just weird um i'm gonna i'm gonna leave and he can't find his keys shocker can't find his keys anywhere and um he gets a phone call from i don't think we actually know who the phone call is from but we find out like this dude that you stayed with all night and stuff is not who you thought he was. You better run. Number 14, The Vanishing. 1993 release, rated R, one hour and 49 minute runtime. The boyfriend of an abducted woman never gives up the search as the abductor looks on. This is starring Jeff Bridges, Kiefer Sutherland, and Nancy Travis. Directed by George Sweezer and written by Todd Graff and Tim Crabb. And this film for Jeff Bridges might be my favorite performance. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sandra Bullock is also in this movie. Um, I don't know why. That's literally not in the top um, three, but literally whatever. Um, so basically, Jeff Bridges is, is a chemistry teacher. And he wants to find out totally casual experiment for any scientist to perform wink, wink that he wants to kidnap somebody. Okay. And he wants to take their life. Like he wants to see if he can do it. 
and and how can he live with himself after the fact? So he um, he he plans everything out. He does a bunch of trials of uh, of kidnappings. Like he tries to kidnap a few people. It 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 gets messed up. But eventually, we get Kiefer Sutherland and Sandra Bullock traveling together, and Jeff Bridges is like, oh yeah. Sandra Bullock, I'm gonna fucking get you. So he's like, this is my time. I'm gonna do this. He's at a gas station. They, um, they notice that both Jeff Bridges and Sandra Bullock are wearing very similar bracelets. Jeff Bridges is like, well, thank you for complimenting it. You know, my daughter made me this. And they kind of like talk about that. Well, then somehow it gets to the point where Sandra Bullock feels comfortable enough with this guy to come to his car. And he chloroforms her and puts her in the car and, um, yeah, he, he just does it. And, um, literally the whole movie is about him talking about how he did it, like how he got to this point, why he does this stuff. He buries her alive. And, uh, the whole time Kiefer Sutherland is obsessively trying to find Sandra Bullock. Like he wants to find her so bad. He thinks she's still out there. He doesn't accept that she's dead. Meanwhile, he has a new girlfriend. Like, she's just... Nancy Travis is his new girlfriend. And, like, he's, like... She basically is, like, you know what? I want to figure this out, too, just so you will stop and leave this alone. And I don't want to say anything further about her because she is such an important character in the movie. But I, like... Everybody in this film is phenomenal. Um... It's, it's so worth your two hours. And even though it's in 1993 and it's a little older, it really and truly is just a masterpiece. Moving on to number 13, we are talking about The Sixth Sense. 1999 release, PG-13, one hour, 47 minute runtime. A frightened, withdrawn Philadelphia boy who communicates with spirits seeks the help of a disheartened child psychologist. Written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, and Tony Collette. This is 100% the first time I remember seeing Tony Collette in anything in my life. And, like, I was, I was young when I watched this movie for the first time. My mom and dad used to watch it all the time. There's no reason to not watch it. I mean, Bruce Willis, God bless him. I know he's really struggling with some health issues at the moment. In this movie, he's just absolutely incredible. So amazing. You feel for him so badly. The movie starts with him getting shot by one of his former patients who is like, you promised you would help me and I don't feel any better. And so I'm mad at you and I'm going to kill you. So he, you know, gets shot by this patient and it's kind of ambiguous. Like, did he live? Did he die? We don't know, but we see him and he becomes Haley Joel Osment's, um, psychologist. And, um, the problem with Haley Joel is that he sees dead people and, um, he's too afraid to tell his mom about it. So he keeps it to himself, but he's always scared. He's never hungry. He's a very like anxious little boy. You feel for him the entire film. It's horrible. It's heartbreaking. And at the end of the movie, Tony Collette finally realizes, like, you know what? My kid has this, this, um, 
I would call it a gift. I, I like to use it in a good light. My kid has this gift, and I'm sorry that he's been troubled with it for so long, but I'm so glad he finally felt comfortable enough to tell me. It's truly incredible the way that the story plays out. And again, when it comes to originality, M. Night Shyamalan is always going to give you originality. The reason I like this one of the best of all of the M. Night Shyamalan movies is because they're really like, he's always known for having a supernatural element to the movie. And yes, that's true. There is a supernatural element here with Bruce Willis's character. Like he's dead. He's been dead the whole time. That's why like literally nobody else can see him except for Haley Joel. Um, but it wasn't like a weird twist, like the end of split where he turns into a monster. So this one is my favorite. Number 12, the strangers talk about a movie. You can't watch very often. 2008 release rated R one hour, 26 minute runtime. This film is inspired by true events. So if that doesn't make you more upset about the movie at all, then you have way bigger problems than I do. A young couple staying in an isolated vacation home are terrorized by three unknown assailants. Written and directed by Brian Bertino, starring Scott Speedman, Liv Tyler, Gemma Ward. <sighs> this couple, like... <laughs> Everything is so sad with them. Like, it's tangibly sad. They come back from a wedding reception. They're staying in this vacation house. And they get a, a knock. Somebody starts knocking on the door. And these three strangers come in and, and, and make themselves at home, for lack of a better term. But they literally have to fight for their lives the entire night. And not only that, but the couple is unhappy. They are, you know trying to mend their relationship. They're really struggling. And then now they're tasked with tasked with having to, to, you know, keep themselves alive. Like it's really like you really feel for these people because you know, emotionally and physically and mentally, they're so exhausted. The tagline for this film is so great. It's lock the door, pretend that you're safe. That's so genius. Um, I like that the movie takes place all in, in one, in one setting. I like, uh, well, I shouldn't say I like, I love Liv Tyler. Like, let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> but the fact that there could always be somebody watching, somebody who wants to come into my space, somebody who is lurking in the shadows in a mask. I mean, I think about this movie, it's so ingrained in my memory that I think about it anytime I look out a, a window um, at nighttime. I think about it, I'll, I think about it all the time frankly. Um, and unfortunately the couple doesn't make it out alive and, and that's too bad. If I remember correctly, the ending is a little girl coming up with some girl scout cookies or, or something of the sort. And, um, it's just broad daylight and it's too bad. It's broad daylight and these people are, are killed and, and the people in the masks, they just leave the house. Like it never happened. I've heard people say, like, it came out in 2008, like, maybe people were trying to make a nice commentary. I shouldn't say nice, excuse me. People were trying to make a relevant commentary on the financial crisis. However, I do not personally, okay, believe that 
this has really much to do with the financial crisis. I would have to do some more research. Um, I mean, like I kind of get like this, somebody comes in and they take everything from you, right? They take everything. They take your life. They take your house. They take over everything and they owe you nothing, which is really and truly like a powerful, a powerful emotion. Okay, finally, we're on number 11, which is the last one we're going to talk about today. Number 11 is Scream. 1996 release, rated R, one hour, 51 minute runtime, a year after the murder of her mother. A teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of their deadly game. This is directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, Starring Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Drew Barrymore, albeit she's only in the beginning. Um, but Courtney Cox is so unlikable in this movie, which is something that I'm not really used to, right? I mean, she was on Friends, she's great, but she plays Gail Weathers, the like incessantly annoying. Um, news anchor. She wants to get this story so bad. The movie revolves around Sydney. Sydney is played by Neve Campbell, and Sydney's character's mom is dead the whole time. She's like struggling with like who killed her mom. She's really torn apart by it. And there's this there's talk everywhere about these killers, and they wear like a ghost face mask, and like nobody knows who they are. They don't really talk. They make phone calls a lot, and when they make phone calls, they use, like, a, a thing to distort their voices so you, they can't really be recognized. And they use tropes throughout the movie. Like, there's one guy in the movie who works at the video store, and he'll be like, I watch horror movies all the time. So if you want to stay alive and, like, there's a killer on the loose, like, don't have sex, because if you have sex, you're going to die. Um, and so Sydney's character is all about how, like, she gets around those tropes. So Sydney in the end, like actually does end up having sex, but guess what? Sydney doesn't die, but the person she had sex with does die. So it's little things like that. And again, this movie is very meta. It's super self-aware. <laughs> it's like self-aware to a fault, but scream is a one of a kind masterpiece. It is a one of a kind movie. I actually have a screen um, or a, a phone case on my phone right now of the ghost face over like the high school. It, one of my favorites. So thank you all for listening. I know that we are so close to being done. So the next episode of this will be the final 10 top 10. And I'm really excited for that. I can't wait to spend more time on each individual movie and really give you like my true 100% thoughts and not feel rushed by it. So I'm looking forward to that, but thank you so much for listening. I hope that you're enjoying this. Um, I know that I, I am, it's a lot of work, but I am enjoying putting these, these lists together. So thank you so much for following along. And until next time, I am six avenues, very own final girl.